Our scripture today is from 2 Samuel 3, 22 through 30. Just as the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with him, but Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he let him go, and, was gone, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you are going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. When Joab came from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern at Sirah. But David did not know about it. When Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gates to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death at the battle of Gibeon. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for bringing us together here as your people by your grace. We pray, we thank you for your word. We pray that your truth would be preached now. Pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak through Mark, that you would be glorified in that, and that you would just strengthen uh, us as your people to uh, go out in, in love and obedience to you and bring glory to you uh, out in, in the world. In your name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, one quick uh, note, want to say um, thank you to you all for um, the gift that you gave us for Pastor Appreciation last month. Uh, we're still kind of working through the process of when that's going to happen sometime in January or February. We'll be heading up to, um, I keep wanting to say Branson, but it's not. It's Brainerd. Brainerd. A little different, wrong direction. But um, anyway, so thank you very much for that. We're looking forward to that, and uh, hopefully I won't break an ankle ice skating when we get up there. So, um, but, uh, but that's, uh, that's a huge, huge thank you to you guys. It's, uh, it's a joy to know that, um, that we're loved and cared for, and uh, this is our family. This is our home. Um, seven and a half years, eight years in February that we've been here? Yeah, Albert goes, Wow. How'd you last that long, Mark, right? No, it's, um, uh, well, I was just talking with my kids this morning that this is the, the longest that we've been, Katie and I have been in one place. Um, and so that's a huge, huge blessing and huge prayer, uh, uh, answer to prayer. Um, and we love it here. Um, we love you guys. We love the church. We love, well, okay, it's the Twin Cities, and you guys know how I felt about the Twin Cities. It's too busy, but we love the area. We do love the people. We do love the Twin Cities with a caveat, um, but um, it's just we're coming from small town South Dakota. You could tell the difference just in culture, and um, sometimes we just need to see the horizon, if any of you understand what I'm saying. So 
Um, but uh, no, we're glad to, to be here, and it's a huge blessing from God. So thank you for showing your love to us that way. Um, we're continuing in Second Samuel, and uh, uh, well, let's just say it. It's about vengeance. Um, it's about the heart, the heart of vengeance. Where, what is going on inside of us? What is going on inside, maybe more specifically, what's going on inside of Joab? Um, if you think about the, what we've gone through or what we've read about so far in 2 Samuel, um, Israel's been going through a civil war, seven years of war. But now it's coming to an end. Abner has made a covenant of peace with David. Ishbosheth seems to be handing over the keys to the throne. Israel's elders are moving towards making David their king. And so finally, after seven years, peace, peace is on the horizon. It's right there. Everyone can see it. And it's a welcome sight to everyone except Joab. Joab is far from content with what is going on right now. When he's told that Abner, the commander of the enemy forces, has just left David's presence in peace, he's going to have none of it. He wants none of it. Peace for Israel may be welcome, but Joab, he can't be at peace, at least in his own mind, until Abner pays for what he did to his brother, to Joab's brother. And so when Abner returns, Joab pulls him aside at the gate and he murders him. That's, that's, it's murder. This act of vengeance, though, it may have satisfied Joab in the moment, but it, it's going to have major consequences, not just for him, but for his entire household. See, there are two things that stand out in this passage. First is how the state of Joab's heart is revealed, not only in his desire for vengeance, but in his fulfilling that desire. He's satisfying his vengeance. But secondly, God also has a high standard of holiness, and Joab fell woefully short. So Joab's desire, it reveals his, his heart. Seven years earlier, Judah and Israel fight in the battle of Gibeon. And in the heat of that battle, Joab's brother Asahel pursued and attempted to kill Abner. And though Asahel was a mighty warrior, one of David's 30 mighty men, he knew what he was doing. He was no match for Abner. And in the end, Abner killed him. Interestingly enough, with the end of his spear, not the point of the spear. So that tells you the strength of, of Abner. This was not murder. It was the death of a soldier in battle. It doesn't make it easier, but it was not murder. Abner had even warned Asahel, back off, man. How am I going to, if I kill you, how am I going to explain this to your brother? And Asahel ignored him, and Abner took his life. But that didn't matter to Joab. None of that mattered. His brother is dead. And he wants revenge. Seven years he held on to that desire. Seven years Joab stewed. 
And for seven years, the cancer of vengeance grew until Joab realized that his time was up. The war was about to be over and his chance for revenge on Abner in battle was about to be lost. Seven years of buildup. Seven years of hatred. Seven years of a desire for murder. Joab may have been a light of leadership to his men in battle, but the state of his heart was dark and evil. And these aren't my words. I'm not putting something on Joab that's not there in the text because in verse 39, which we're going to look at next week more in depth, this is what David says of Joab, the Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. He's speaking of Joab. A heart that entertains and sleeps with the siren of vengeance is a heart that is wicked. Let me say that again. A heart that entertains and sleeps with the siren of vengeance is a heart that is wicked. And the cost will be heavy. Because God has a high standard of holiness when it comes to his people. And this includes Joab. In the Old Testament law, God makes provision for murder. If someone intentional, is intentionally killed by another, the murderer could be put to death by the person who's called, and this is in Numbers 25, he's called the avenger of blood. This avenger was usually a member of the victim's family who could take the life of the murderer after, of course, guilt was determined through the evidence of at least two witnesses, if the avenger of blood just goes out on his own and kills, guess what? He's the murderer. And now he has an avenger of blood against him. So there has to be evidence. It wasn't just wholesale, everybody, yeah, I'm mad, I'm going to kill everybody. There is evidence of at least two witnesses that are brought to bear. God says, a life for a life. Murder was a sin, and it had to be punished. Why? And we say, well, because it's wrong. Okay, so why is it wrong? Why is murder wrong? Now think, think that one through. Answer that question. What makes murder wrong? And the answer of it's just wrong is not good enough. You have to have a standard. What is good? What is bad? What is right? What is wrong? And so what makes murder wrong? It's a sin that had to be punished because allowing a murderer to go free would be allowing sin and uncleanliness to fester in the midst of God's people, a people set apart or called to holiness by God himself. And it's a destruction of the image bearer of God. So in other words, yes, you murder someone, yes, it's, it's a sin against the person who's murdered and against their family and all that, but deeper, it's a sin against God. It's a sin against Him. And allowing a murderer, or let's just say a sinner, to go free would be allowing sin and uncleanliness to fester in the midst of God's people. Just like vengeance did in the heart of Joab, it sat there and it festered and it grew and it became darker and bigger. That's what sin does. 
in the heart of God's people, not just individually, but corporately. And it's complete opposite from being a people who are set apart or called to holiness by God. Joab's brother was killed. He was not murdered. There was no trial for Abner, no witnesses to call, no judgment rendered for his killing of Asahel, meaning that Joab was no avenger of blood described as described by God's law. Joab's killing of Abner was sinful. It was wrong. He became the murderer about whom the law was written. And his actions were a direct violation of the holiness which God commanded. And so through David, God gives his judgment upon Joab. And he brings curses upon Joab. There's going to be a couple things that we were to look at today. You know, you think leprosy and discharge, those are all curses of um, uncleanliness. If you go back to the Old Testament in Leviticus 14 and 15, it talks about somebody has to discharge. There's a process to cleanse them, not in like, like my hands are dirty, like literally dirty kind of cleanliness. It's, it's an uncleanliness before God. Somebody who has leprosy, there's a process of working through that because having leprosy is to be unclean before God. So there's a, there's a deeper meaning behind this. And so Joab is unclean before God. Now, I, I don't know the whole spindle thing. If you figure that out, that'd be awesome. Okay, we're going to look at another one later on. We go, what in the world does that mean? When it's all together, you look at everything together, these curses they're not a joy. So whatever the spindle is, it's not a good thing. (laughs) It's a very bad thing. But his judgment, God's judgment, is not just upon Joab. Did you catch what David said? It's upon his house. See, Joab's sin didn't affect just him. It affected the entire household. This is God's standard. But then, of course, you have to ask the question, okay, let's, let's, just, let's just be honest. Is this really that high of a standard? In other words, murder seems pretty easy to avoid, right? <laughs> Do not murder. Whew, I've got that one down, right? Not a problem for me. I don't have to worry about that. And you know what? Most Jewish leaders would have agreed with you, but then Christ comes along and he points to what the law was really getting at. Yes, murder is wrong. But there's something bigger at stake here, and that is the heart. So let's bring it from Joab and David and murder of Abner. Let's pull that out and let's place us in that, in that situation. What does Jesus say about vengeance and the state of my heart? Now, it's easy for us to then pull up the news, and go, man, how evil, how lost are these people who are doing this or doing that or murdering, literally murdering people, the school shootings. Uh, just this week, we, we heard about a, a teacher that gave a couple of kids a bad grade in Spanish. They followed her after school and shot her, killed her. Like, we go, mom, like, how dark does the heart have to be for that to be a reality of our world today? 
And so it's easy for us to then look on the outside and say, them. That's not what I'm asking us to do. I'm asking us to look at our heart. That, that doesn't mean it doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> what I'm saying is in this moment right now, Christ is asking us in this passage I'm about to read to look at my heart, not my kids, not my parents, not my friends, not my boss, not my teacher, not my pastor, me. See, Jesus addresses the issue of vengeance specifically in the state of one's heart in his Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, if you've got a Bible app, I want you to open Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is a pretty famous passage, well-known passage. If you've been in the church, you've probably heard this a lot um, if you grew up in the church. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. This is Jesus speaking. You have, heard it's, you have heard that it was said, hold on a second. You have heard it said, ah, see, I already messed it. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus is taking one of the laws, Ten Commandments, right? Do not murder. Thou shalt not murder, if you want to do the old King James Version. And he's revealing its deeper application. He moves the focus from an act of murder to the birthplace of its desire. You see, the, the Jews figured, well, if, if the standard is do not murder, pff, I'm good. And Jesus goes, yeah, no, that's not, that's not what God meant by that standard. Yes, okay, do not murder. You're absolutely right. But what the law is supposed to do is that it reveals the heart. Why do you murder? He moves the focus from the act to the birthplace of its desire, a sinful and dark heart. And of course you say, well, I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to call somebody back I'm mad at, put them in the corner of the house and stab them to death. I mean, come on, I'm not going to do that. Well, Jesus says, anger. Now, we're talking about real deep hatred. Okay, this is not simply frustration or irritation. We've all had that, right? Like, I'm, I'm irritated. Hmm. I'm frustrated. And I'm angry in that way. No, when Jesus is talking about anger here, it is deep and it is hatred for your brother or your sister. And verbal insults are evidence of a heart. So that verbal insult, the willingness for me to verbally assault and abuse is evidence of a heart that is far from the heart of God. In other words, God's standard of holiness is not about the act, it's only. It's not about the act only, it's about the heart. 
Obedience to God's commands is one thing. Loving those same commands is another. That's God's standard of holiness. It's high. Now, just a few verses later, you think, man, like, okay, so that's super high, right? Yeah, well, just wait. Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, God's standard, according to Christ, is so high that it's impossible for us to fulfill. Now, how do I say it? Like, okay, well, I just got to control my anger and where my heart's at and, and let go. People who offend me, people who hurt me, or like persecute me, or even kill somebody in my family. Can I, okay, I think maybe I can let, I can let that go, right? Okay, that's my, I made the standard of God. Well, no, we haven't. Because this is what he says, Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, don't love your fellow Jew in the context. Don't love your fellow Jew and then hate the Gentiles. But love the Gentiles. Love your enemies. To hate your enemies and to hate your brother brings the punishment of judgment. Liability to the council, again, I don't, we don't know, I don't know what that is. It's not good because the very next thing is the hell of fire. That's bad. The dark heart of hatred results in the punishment of rejection by God and the inability of the par, uh, to be part of the people of God. The dark heart of hatred Vengeance results in the punishment of rejection by God and the inability to be part of God's people. And then here's where the standard is actually set. He says in verse 48, what, so what are, what are we to do? God's standard is really high, right? Like, okay, really, really high. Christ gives a solution in verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I didn't kill anybody today. I'm good. No, you need to be perfect as God is perfect. Now, that's, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, everybody says, is it literal or is it figurative? Oh, no, it's literal. God's standard is perfection. Which is why when sometimes we say, well, I'm not like that person, so I'm better than them because they're doing that sin. I haven't murdered anybody. And God goes, oh, really? Have you hated anybody? Or let's, let's just go like super simple. Have you lied? Ever? In a small way. And then everybody here, including all the little children, say, yes, we have. Well, then you're not perfect. You're not perfect. In order to be a part of the people of God, you must be perfect as God is perfect. Which means you, to, you need to love God and love other people as you were commanded by God. And you need to be perfect in it. Absolutely perfect. Are we, are we getting that weight? Are we feeling that? Not just in deed, but in heart. <laughs> 
So if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if, you're, if you are saved, guess what God has said? Well, let's just say it with anybody. Your requirement to be a child of God is not only to be a good person on the outside, a perfect person on the outside, but you've got to be a perfect person on the inside, which is the moment that you become so angry with your brother, you have sinned. And you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be in God's presence. Because remember what we said, to be unclean. You can't be with God. He demands perfect cleanliness. Be perfect. Now, this is easy for me to ignore because I'm not a perfectionist. This is probably more difficult for those, sorry to point my wife out, she's a perfectionist. And I feel really bad for her because she's married to me. And I kind of go like, well, I can't live by that. Well, if you, if you are perfectionist, this is heavy on you even more so than the regular person. I hope it's the same for everybody, but you go, I, I, I try to deal with perfection. I can't even keep my carpet clean. How am I supposed to be perfect before God? This is impossible. And it's like, yes, exactly. That's what Jesus is getting at. Instead of hatred, you love. You reconcile with your brother. You return evil with good. You love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. You do to others just as he did for you. And that's the key. What did God do for those who believe, for those who bow down to Christ as their Savior, their treasure, and their Lord? And I, I think this is true for David as much as it is for us today. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's an amen, right? Like, yeah, amen. Okay, no. What does he mean by sinners? Well, he continues in verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. We've been, we've been made righteous before him by the blood of Christ on the, on the cross, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so by Christ, his wrath for our sin, our inability to be perfect, is taken away and placed on Christ. Christ shed blood saves us from the wrath of God for our sins, for our uncleanliness, for our imperfection before him. And then here's the key for for if while we were enemies, do, do you, a lot of times in the church we can think like, because we're the children of God, we've been shown the grace and we say amen, amen, that somehow we forget that before we were saved by God, by the blood of Christ, we were his enemies. For the Jew, we were a Gentile. They were a Gentile, maybe I should say. You want to put it into today's context, okay? Um, who's our enemy? Well, let's just go the terrorists who want to blow up an entire city with a nuclear bomb. I would say those are enemies, right? Yeah, that's how we are to God. While we were enemies, what did he do? We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. What did we do to alleviate the the standard of perfection before God? Nothing. 
because we couldn't. We couldn't be perfect. And so Christ came, he died, he shed his blood, and he reconciled us who were enemies. We were Joab. And he reconciled us to the Father. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So where does our praise go? When we know we used to be enemies, we were imperfect, and yet he saved us. It doesn't go to me. It doesn't go to you. It goes to him. Our praise is on he saved us. His blood was shed for us. Dare I say, how are we to be made perfect as God is perfect? Certainly not in and of ourselves, but only through the blood of Christ. Do you know what that does? It changes the heart, doesn't it? When you remember that. Now, you can easily become discouraged by that, right? If you focus on the wrong place, like, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm still not perfect. I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. That's, that's missing, missing the point of what God is trying to say. I've said this a number of times. When you, when you have ice cream, okay, I'll give, I'll give a personal example of this. Okay, when I had COVID a year and a half ago, a year ago, I think it was about a year, a little bit over a year ago, so I said, did you lose your taste? I said, oh no, everything tasted like salt. Literally, everything tasted like salt. It was super weird, right? It, you guys get that, okay? And you're like, that's really weird. When I recovered, and the first time that I had ice cream after that, and it didn't taste like salt, guess what it tasted like? Heaven. <laughs> when you, you cannot fully understand the sweetness of ice cream until you Coat your mouth in a mouthful of salt. And so it is with our salvation. When we understand His standard of holiness is so high, you have to be perfect and that you cannot, I cannot, achieve that standard. What do I do? And God says, I sent my son to die for you. To save you. To save you from my wrath. The sweetness of God's salvation becomes ever sweeter. It's, it's not about my imperfection. It's about His perfection. We cannot fight the sinful desires of our heart in our own power. And if as Christians we, we start to get down on ourselves, that, okay, now I'm, I'm about to talk about sanctification, all right? So, if we get so down on ourselves, we're, we're missing the mark. But if we try to fight sinful desires in our own heart, we're going to fail. And so something has to happen to us. Something has to change within us. Something has to happen to change our dark, sinful, rebellious, and unclean heart to one that is filled with light, obedience, love, righteousness, and God's holiness. And that's done through Christ. We love our enemies as God's people because he loved us when we were enemies. 
we are not angry with our brother, hate our brother. Have you ever really been hated by someone? Have you ever hated someone? Now, you could say, okay, brother, okay, so that means fellow Jew, so it only deals with, you know, the church. I, I could be, I can hate somebody outside the church, but I, I can't hate somebody within the church. Yeah, no, that's, you know, that's an excuse because your heart is still dark because where were you before Jesus loved you? You were in the world. And so we are to love as he loved not to just make people feel good about themselves, <laughs> but to point them to the realization that there is someone who saves, that there is someone who changes the heart. Seeking the good of your enemies and praying for those who persecute you is impossible without Christ. Which means as a believer, as a church, it's a humbling experience to trust God to take care of it rather than <laughs> me having to do it on my own. If we, as God's people, are seeking revenge or being angry with our brother and sister, Allowing our personal pain to dictate our actions is a sign of spiritual stagnation. It's a sign that we have turned our face away from Christ, our King, just as Joab did. He did not trust David to handle the situation. Instead, he took it into his own hands. Now, this turning does not remove us from the family of God. It's, it doesn't remove us as a child in God's family, but it's a turning which reveals that our relationship with God is not as it should be. For the believer, the cost of vengeance is a broken relationship with our king. I'm not going to talk too much about that because we'll talk about that next week. But thank goodness, or praise God, maybe I should say, that when we find ourselves in a state of, of that kind of anger and hatred, or even anxiety, if you want to add that to it, that God hasn't left us. The Spirit's still there. He's working on us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's slowly changing our hearts to be more and more like His as the Bible says, from one degree of glory to another. So don't, don't neglect this as God's people. Again, we're going we're gonna to talk about eternity next week. I mean, that's here, right? But, but this, is, this week, we're, we're focused on the here and now as believers. We are saved. We have eternal life. That is the reward. But, but hear this, this message um, if we are entertaining and fulfilling the desires of our heart, our sinful heart, remember that there is judgment that will come upon us. 
Our relationship with God will be broken. It will affect the relationship with the people that we love around us. It'll affect them. It'll affect our relationship within the body of Christ. It'll affect our ability to be able to serve uh, sacrificially, to be able to love others as God calls us to love. That that relationship is broken and it has to be restored. To entertain vengeance comes at a cost. For Joab, it affected his relationship with David. He never really fully, David never really fully trusts Joab after that. In fact, eventually it's going to cost him his life. And so it is with us that if if we entertain as God's people the sinfulness of our heart, it affects our relationship with our Savior. And Christ says, turn back. Trust in me. Let me do a work in you. And as a disclaimer, as a fellow believer, this is going to happen until the day you die. Because there is never a part of our heart that is fully devoted to Christ. And he will be constantly saying, yeah, you see that part? Yeah, let's work on that. But don't do it in your own power. Trust me. Submit to me. And I'm not going to lead you astray. Oh, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you're going to have to let go of that anger and that hatred. You have to let go of that desire to ah, get your vengeance upon that person. You know what? Just trust. I, I've, I've got it taken care of. And you can love them just as I loved you before you were mine. It takes humility, it takes patience takes a willingness to submit to him and remember these words and i'll repeat this again next week we heard this or at least we believed this when we first came to christ as god's people if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved he has saved us He has changed us, and he continues to change us. So, no matter the outcome on Tuesday, how will we react? Father, I pray for us as your people that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would let go of our perfection. We would also not use our imperfection as an excuse to do whatever we want, but instead, Father, we would just trust and rest in you, knowing that you are constantly looking at our hearts and and pulling the sin and pointing the sin out in our lives and reminding us that we are to be perfect as you are perfect and ultimately, Father, the reality is is that through Christ we are made perfect. We are saved because of Him, not because of us. We glorify you for that. In the process of living and being sanctified by your Spirit, Father, you're changing us. Give us humility. Give us joy. Give us love. 
Help us to let go of us and rest in you and your perfection, Father. Thank you for the blood of your Son which covers us and cleanses us and makes us your children so that we can be in your presence. He met the standard we never could. And we praise you for that, Father, in your name.